Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. I want to start with this. How many of you love a good superhero story? Come on now. A good superhero story. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good superhero story. I'm that kid that was raised in the, uh, you know, rural hills of southwest Michigan who loved to go out and play in the woods and backyard and f- make up stories and think of myself as the, the, you know, the famous hero coming in to save the town from the dragon or the, you know, the lovely lady from the captive villain who held her and tied her on the railroad tracks or whatever it was. Um, but today these superhero stories, they all generally follow a certain, uh, archetype, we call it. it. It all follows the same kind of story. And guess who that story often leads us back to? It's Jesus. That's right. And so in our maturity, we often don't think of Jesus as a superhero, but I want you to see that today is that the superhero writers of today, whether it be comic books or movies and media, they often follow a common arc, a storyline. And these epic tales often mimic the story of Jesus. In today's passage in chapter 17, it's going to suggest that we see Jesus in a very different light than we have up to this point. You see, I think the, the, the Gospel of John, so John is a player, a character in our story today, and he writes this in his Gospel. He starts right out the gate. He says, the Word, capital W, if you do some study, that is referring to Jesus, the Logos, the essence, the Word of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a beautiful passage. Could be a life verse for many of us. And so what we're going to dive into today is is part of a field of study. Who knew? But there is a field of theological study called Christology, the study of Christ, the study of Jesus. And in theological circles, Christology is our understanding of who Jesus really is. It's a nice follow-up to last week's message. You remember, who do you say Jesus is, right? I think that's planned. Remember back to Caesarea Philippi, all the different opinions? Who do you say Jesus is? That's Christology. And some of us were very inspired last week, and I might even be reminded this week that I even said it to him myself, Jesus, you're my superhero. You are the superhero. And today we're going to further our own Christology our own understanding of Jesus, with another story that stretches our minds and hopefully increases our understanding and our faith in Jesus. He's both truth and grace. He's both fully God and fully man. And that makes for a great superhero story, doesn't it? But I have to give you just a little bit of background. I don't like to do this, but I have to. I got to bring back just two little verses from chapter 16 that give us some foreshadowing, give us some background. And so if you just turn back a little bit, Matthew 16, 27 and 28. These are the words of Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, 
And then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. He's speaking of the future. And then in 28, he says, truly, I tell you, some of you are standing here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It's supporting evidence for what we're going to experience today. There are two distinct episodes in chapter um, 17 that I want to talk about. From a teaching standpoint, that's why I'm going to walk through them very, very carefully. Because we can get confused really quick here. Number one is the transfiguration, the changing of Jesus upon this mountaintop. And for lack of a better word, often commentators call it an epiphany. It's a revealing. It's an aha moment. And it's a breakthrough experience for three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Okay, and we'll read about that here in verses 1 through 9. And then the second episode is kind of when she'll be coming down the mountain when she comes, right? They're going to they're gonna come down the mountain and they're going to have a conversation. And it's really a, a discussion with Jesus about the character, the prophet Elijah. And that name is going to come up for you here in verses 10 through 13. So Matthew writes this in two separate episodes of the same kind of story that I think gives us a wonderful picture. And it helps us expand, like I said, our Christology our understanding of Jesus. And so that first section is the glory of Jesus revealed to these guys. Okay, so that's chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. After six days, starts here in verse 1, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus asks three of his disciples to go on a little hike. Valerie, it's great to see you here today. I heard you experienced a little bit of a hike, saw some pictures, blessings as you went and and saw a beautiful part of the country, the Grand Canyon. This mountaintop experience is a common theme in Scripture. Some of you might remember, and you're going exactly where this needs to go in your minds. Moses went up to the mountain, didn't he? We're going to bring back that story of Moses here in a minute. Jesus often went to high, lonely places, quiet places. I've had the chance to even climb small mountains myself. Beautiful experience. And so this mountaintop represents something to these men. It's a very special trip for these hand-picked disciples. Because in verse 2 we read, There he, Jesus, was transfigured before their eyes, before them. His face shone like the sun, And his clothes became as white as the light. Yikes. We haven't seen Jesus like this, right? Jesus is changed into something different that they had never seen before. And that word transformed or or transfigured is the Greek word metamorpho. Metamorphosis is the word that we would use in English. He transformed, think like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, right? That's one of those nature examples of metamorphosis that we see. But this type of picture is not uh, exclusive to this passage. So I want you to think about that picture of Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes turned pure, the purest white. Other gospel writers say that no washer of clothes could ever get them as white as they were. How about that, Mom? Those are some, not even bleach could make it as white as they are. And so John, actually writing in another uh, part of his, he wrote the gospel. He says, we've seen his glory, right? We've seen his glory. He speaks in the book of Revelation about this as well. 
And this is, in Revelation, the first chapter he's describing Jesus, as he saw the resurrected Christ, okay? In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. It's an amazing picture, a powerful picture. And for Matthew, remember, Matthew is writing this basically on the testimonies of his friends, the disciples that experienced it, well after the resurrection and the ascension happened, right? So he's coming back to this saying, okay, uh, help me out, fellas. What exactly did you see? What did you see? But I want you to see that Matthew has a motive here. And in writing it this way, first and foremost, he's, he's recording an event that proclaims the glory that surrounded Moses now surrounds Jesus, okay? Keep that in your mind as we read the rest of this. And to a primarily Jewish audience, that was big time. So like if we can link Jesus back to Moses, ooh, people are gonna take note, right? And the scene is exactly the same, right? So there's gonna be a cloud, there's gonna be this brilliance, there's gonna be the voice of God, right? You all know this story, we're gonna get there. But he's linking it back to the, the giver of the law, right? And the second thing is that he's actually giving us the record of a preview of what Jesus is going to be like after the resurrection. And that's where John's testimony, we're going to read Peter's testimony of the future, of what he saw also. So go back to the passage now, because the guys see him in a new way, right? And then in verse 3, just then, there appeared before them two other people. Two other men joined them, Moses and Elijah. Jesus is joined by two visitors. The group expands to, to six, right? And from the past, it's Moses and Elijah? Okay, so as if it couldn't get any more crazy for Peter, James, and John, these two show up out of nowhere. And the way this is written, it, it, I guess they just assumed that they knew who they were, right? Like if George Washington and, Be and Benjamin Franklin walked in here today, I, I suppose we could recognize them. It's like, oh, wait a minute, right? Because you didn't have to walk up and say, hi, what's your name? Are you new here? Well, are you camping on the mountaintop too? No, no, no. They did not ask that question. They knew it was Moses and Elijah joined Jesus. And, and, and they were talking. Did you see that in the verse? They were talking with Jesus. It's baseball season. What a wonderful conference we have at the mound sometimes, you know. Pitcher's kind of struggling. Coach comes out. The catcher maybe go over there. What are they talking about? What are you saying? Yeah, and I love those little memes that they make where they're, they're filling in the, the lip reading thing. Like, oh, well, what kind of barbecue sauce do you use? I don't know about this one. It just came to my mind. Sorry. What are they talking about? What are you talking about? Well, guess what? If you go to Luke, Luke's record of this, he says that they are actually talking. Okay, this is Luke's parallel passage. So it's Luke 9. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Okay, Luke must have got further detail from his interviews. He says they spoke about his departure, which was about to bring, he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Oh, okay. So that gives us at least a little bit more of the picture that they're starting to talk about the big plan, 
right? The big plan. These two visitors come, and scholars have argued and written volumes. Trust me, I read and scanned as many as I could about what this actually means. What in the world is going on here, right? Okay, so we got Jesus revealing himself in like this huge, superhero, powerful way. Two critical people from the history of Israel show up on the mountaintop, and they start talking about the plan, like the plan for life, the plan for his departure. And so what is the significance of this Moses and Elijah sighting, right? Generally, it comes down to these two things. Moses represents the law. That's the story. You can go back to Exodus 20, Exodus 24. Unfortunately, he had to do it twice. But he brings the law, over 600 different rules that are the Jewish Torah, the law, okay? He's often represented as the person who wrote most of or gathered most of the Pentateuch, first five five books of the Old Testament, okay? Elijah represents the prophets, okay? So we, we haven't studied much of that yet, but you know Elijah, powerful things, fire from heaven, raising the dead, causing a drought, you know, all kinds of power that comes through Elijah. And so, if you remember, back to our study, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I haven't come to undermine the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And so many scholars believe that just having this this trio standing on the mound, having their chat about the plan, links Jesus immediately back to this law and the prophets kind of uh, concept, right? It's a beautiful picture. I've not come to undermine the law and the prophets. Those guys are great friends of mine. We chat all the time. In fact, they visited our camp out. They, they you know, hung out and we talked about the plan. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything I do. So I want to take you back to one of those Elijah kind of passages. Just to set, the, to set our minds on what exactly we're talking about here. Because it's going to foreshadow to what the, the disciples are headed this way too. Okay, this is Malachi 4, 4 and 5. You can just turn one page or two several back before Matthew. They're back to back here, although they're separated by about 400 years of history. Okay? Remember the law of my servant Moses. This is the prophet speaking to the people. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. This is the prophecy that says Elijah is going to come first, then we'll see the Messiah, in essence, right? So keep that in your mind just for a second. Malachi basically says Elijah is going to come back, the spirit of Elijah would come, and then we'll see the Messiah. So Peter gets it in his head. This is a little side note, little little caveat here. Lord, oh, it's so good for us to be here. Like, yeah, I get it. If you want, if you wish, I'm going to make you guys some tents or something. Let's just, like, let's make some shelters and we're going to stay here, right? Peter desires to stay on this mountaintop. Like, I never want to come down. I got Jesus, the Messiah, this son of the living God, right? You are the Christ. Moses and Elijah around my campfire. Woo-hoo! We just would live off of s'mores and hot dogs, right? Let's keep these guys here. But go back to chapter, or chapter 17, verse 5. While he was still speaking, uh, uh, excuse me, somebody interrupts him. 
Like we could make a, we could make this a note. Excuse me. The, God, the voice, a bright cloud surrounds them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. Shut my mouth. And guess what they do? God the Father interrupts Peter with this statement. If you're following along in our outlines, he identifies Jesus, he affirms him, and then he admonishes anybody who can hear it, including you and me, to listen up. Right? So those are the three things that that statement really uh, communicates, identifies. This is Jesus. This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. He's doing a great job. You better listen to him. Right? You follow that? That's the identification, affirmation, and admonishment that God the Father gives to them. Now, that word listen is going to come into play here. I want you to listen carefully. Listen to him. Okay? Because that that word pops up in Moses' writing as well. And so I want to take you back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18.15 is the words what we believe of to be Moses. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And the Christology, the Christologists, they sharpen their pencils and they go, ooh, this is what he's talking about. This is Jesus, a prophet, a savior raised up from among them. Listen to him. Listen to him. Okay? He goes like this. It's further in that same chapter. He says this, I'll raise him up. I'll raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their fellow Israelites, I'll put my words in his mouth. He'll tell them everything I command him. See, these, this is how this switches. Did you see the pronouns here? This is God speaking to Moses. This is God the Father saying, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among the people. I'll put my words in his mouth. He'll tell them everything I command him. And I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And so now we get that, that, hopefully that flashback to Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to come in my glory and I'm going to hold everyone into account. It's rooted right here. So Peter gets interrupted. A cloud of mist or whatever surrounds them. They hit the deck. <laughs> as, as, as rightfully they should. And as absolutely rightfully I would and you would if we were in that situation. The words of God in a cloud standing amongst Jesus, the son of the living God, Moses and Elijah. Oh, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm like a dead man. I mean, think of the gravity of this moment. When we worship God, can we try to capture at least some of that glory, some of that moment that we fall face down in the presence of God? It's a powerful picture. Oh, but the good shepherd is there. Look at verse 7. He says, fellas, get up. Get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He lifts their chins. But then when they looked up, poof, (laughs) it's all back to normal. And they didn't see it anymore. They just saw Jesus. And there's so much we don't have time to unpack what our personal experience with Jesus looks like. But this is a vision. This is an experience with Jesus. That is life-changing. Amen? Life-changing for these men. In fact, Peter goes on in his career, in his life, ministering and leading. In the book of 2 Peter, he mentions a little bit like this. 2 Peter 
The first chapter there, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We were there. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. They heard that twice. Do you know where the other part of it was? His baptism. It's the same words. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. That's it. His testimony was true even to the end of his life. So let's shift to that second, that second kind of episode here. So as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus instructs them, hey, fellas, don't talk about this. Don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Can you imagine? What? Don't tell anybody until after I'm raised from the dead. Okay. And that in itself produces, I think, two questions for these fellas. One about the past and one about the future. The future question, they don't seem to ask, but I know it's there. They're like, what do you mean you're going to be raised from the dead? That means you're going to be killed? That's not how this is supposed to work. Like, We just saw you. How are they going to kill you? You're going to be raised from the dead? But they don't ask that future question. They decide to ask the the past question. So look look at it. They ask a very interesting question in verse 10. They say, uh, why do the teachers of the law and and the scribes and the Pharisees, why do they say that Elijah must come first? Because here's what scholars believe, and I believe this too, is that one of the reasons the Pharisees said, this guy can't be the Savior, This guy, this Jesus from Nazareth, he's not the Savior. We've not seen Elijah yet. Tisk, tisk, remember Malachi? I have it right here in my notebook, right? The the Elijah must come, then the Messiah comes. See, we haven't seen Elijah. So why do the scribes keep saying that Elijah must come first? We know you're the Son of God. We know that you're the Messiah. Why do they say that? And, And so where does it come from? We looked at Malachi 4. Jump back if you're there with your finger in Malachi. Look at chapter 3. He did the same thing. I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. And then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. I'm going to do this. The messenger's going to come. And then suddenly the Messiah will appear in his temple. So Jesus says to them in verses 11 and 12, You know, to be sure, Elijah comes and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already come. And they didn't recognize him, but they've done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands as well. Wow. Wow. Let's unpack his answer here a second. Okay. What exactly is he saying to these guys? Here's the way we believe this goes. His answer has about four different parts. It says that expecting Elijah to come is absolutely correct. We're good. We've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Number two, uh, 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 Elijah has already come. Okay. And the teachers didn't recognize who that was. These scribes, Pharisees, these people you're talking about, it was John the Baptist. But they didn't understand, and whatever they saw in him, they didn't like. And so that's where he went. And guess what? 
Jesus, me, I will face the same uh, suffering at their hands. Do you realize, it dawned on me this week, we didn't preach this passage, but actually Jesus has talked about this before with them, and they must have just forgotten it. But Matthew, he's writing it, and back in chapter 11, this is what we read. And they were talking about John the Baptist. So in chapter 11, starts in verse 9, this is what Jesus says to them. He's talking to the disciples. He said, well, what did you go out to see? How many of you went out to see John the Baptist out there? That crazy guy had the camel hair and eating the bugs and, you know, dunking people, calling them to repentance. Yeah, I went. Well, what did you go to see? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. He was a prophet, but he was way more than that. This is the one about whom it's written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. That's him. He goes on in that chapter 11 passage. He says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied up until John the Baptist. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Well, thank goodness. One of the few verses in all of Scripture where people actually started to understand what he was talking about. Like, oh, oh my. Think of the revelation there. And so I want to, I want to encourage you here that this passage represents a vision, an epiphany, an experience with Jesus that calls us to obedience. And the reason I say that is because I, like I said, I've read uh, several commentaries trying to do my research here. And everybody that talks about this passage seems to kind of come back to one part of it. One part of it. I think is a beautiful emphasis for us today. Because ultimately, we want to see who God really is. We want to see Jesus for who he really is. And I want to do what he tells me to do. Right? That's us. And by and large, much of the commentary, the writing, the study of this Christological passage has come down to one thing that I want you to catch today. And it's right at the end of verse 5. If you have your Bibles open. Can you guess what it is? Listen to him. Listen to him. All the writing, all the reflection, this is what we are to do in responding to this passage. I want to unpack this with you. This is one of the writings from a great uh, leader in church history. Very early on, I thought a little Leo Miller. Is Leo here today? Hi, Leo. You share a name with a great man who did some really powerful writing. He was the first, one of the first popes. He lived from 400 to 461 A.D., and he wrote this in his reflections about this passage. He says, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I am manifested through his preaching. I am glorified through his humility. Listen to him. For the mysteries of the law foreshadowed, the mouths of the prophets sang. Listen to him who by his blood redeemed the world, who binds the devil. Listen to him who opens the way to heaven and by the pain of the cross prepares for you the steps of ascent into his kingdom. Wow, what a wonderful reflection. Oh, that we would listen to you, Jesus. Let's pray together. God, you are mighty and powerful in our lives. Jesus, be the center of my life. You're so good to us. You're our superhero. You're the superhero of my life, and you're the superhero of this entire universe. I pray that we would see you as you truly are. And we want to see a glimpse of your glory whenever you'll give it to us, Lord. Lord, we're, 
We're on a mountaintop sometimes and we don't want to come down. But you call us to come down and to obey, to listen carefully. We want to do that today, Lord. We pray for your wisdom and strength as we do that together, spurring one another on as a community of faith here in this part of the world. That God, we may, as Moses did, walk down off of our, you know, our mountaintop experiences and our faces would shine, God, with the reflection of your glory. We might love the way you love. We might lead the way you lead. That we might teach the way you teach. To God be the glory forever. We listen carefully and we obey quickly, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, in our life. Amen and amen. I'm Charlie Grimes, ex-athletic coach and exercise physiologist, turned pastor, podcaster, and author. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the courage, the money, and the time to truly step into my God-given gifts to encourage, teach, and lead people to a deeper and more fulfilling life. After many failed attempts and lessons learned, I now enjoy the work of coming alongside people, hearing their stories, and helping them to start where they are, take what they have, and do what they can. This work used to only be a daydream for me. I created the Encouragers United podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step teaching through both meeting new people and unpacking and the valuable lessons found in the Bible. If you're an ambitious leader, teacher, pastor, coach, or parent who's looking to make a positive impact in the lives of those around you, you're in the right place. Let's get this thing started.